Instead of trick or treat, should I just say, hi, I heal people. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I was speaking at a high school fall retreat last weekend, and during breakfast one day, I was talking with the band. We got to talking about Halloween and costumes, and the topic switched to, how old were you the last time you went trick-or-treating? People were saying things like 13 or 15 or 14, or I can't really remember, and then it was my turn. I said, 25 or 26. Before I get to that, I have to let you know that I was raised in a home that absolutely loved trick-or-treating and loved wearing costumes. As kids, we'd start thinking about what we wanted to be for Halloween as soon as the calendar turned to October 1st. My sisters and brother and I were clowns and princesses and doctors and what we called hobos, which, if you look on Wikipedia, is defined as a traveling worker. People who would hop trains or travel by foot from job to job. The picture that pops up shows a man carrying a bindle, which is a stick carried over the shoulder with a personal belongings wrapped up in a blanket or a bandana or something. He also has a little bit of a five o'clock shadow, which we perfected in our costumes with dabs of a mascara wand. We were football players and Cinderella and cats. One thing those of you in warmer climates might not recognize or appreciate is the need that Minnesotans or others in the Midwest have to get creative each year as we balance our cool costume with dressing warm enough to be outside. How can I make my Cinderella ball gown fit over my winter coat in case the temperature has already dipped below freezing? I remember lining up with my siblings in front of our upstairs bathroom mirror, perfecting our looks. I remember hearing my mom yell, time for supper, and feeling a little thrill in my stomach as I'd make my way down the stairs. Each Halloween, we'd have the same supper, corn dogs, macaroni and cheese, and carrot sticks. Clearly, we were starting our evening out with healthy food as we anticipated our haul for later that evening. We'd eat our food as quickly as we could so we could spend more time in hot pursuit of candy. We have pictures of my dad in costumes while for years he would dress up and take us door to door. My mom would stay home and hand out the candy. When we were older, we got to go with our friends, which was so much fun. We obviously lived in a different day and time when this was relatively safe. We would run as fast as we could, door to door with pillowcases in our hands. I remember clown shoes proved to be a problem one year and wished I hadn't completed my costume with those. At any rate, we'd race up to each door with our eyes and mouths and pillowcases wide open. Our eyes would be looking for candy, our mouths would be shouting trick-or-treat, and our cases would be agape waiting for the precious cargo to plop right in. Some people would hand the candy out through the top part of their door. They were able to remove their window for just such a time as this. I thought that was really cool. Some houses decorated their front doors, daring kids to brave their way to the candy. 
Some people would chat for a while and comment on our costumes or how they knew our dad or something. Others would say, here you go, keep running. I liked those people the best. At the end of the night, we'd gather back at the house and meet up with our other siblings. We'd take our pillowcases, dump them out onto the living room floor, being really careful to keep our candy separated from each other's. And then the high-level negotiating would begin. I know that candy evaluation is a pretty personal subject, a little fluid there. People feel strongly about their favorites and least favorites, and I'm no exception. I knew I was probably a lock for the Almond Joys and Mounds as not everybody loved coconut. I also loved salted nut rolls, which if you've listened to season one, episode 13, you already know this. I loved Reese's. I loved Bit of Honey and Butterfingers as well. I could bargain away my Milky Ways for Milk Duds and would 100% trade my sweet tarts for just about anything else. Starbursts were also good for trading, but only if they were pink or orange. The greens would sit in the carpet right next to the Smarties, not to be moved. Circus peanuts would be exchanged for pixie sticks. Some of us liked one and some liked the other. Apples or anything with a slight tear would be tossed in the garbage because, well, you know, razor blades. Once the bargaining concluded, we'd bring our bags to our rooms and choose three candies we could eat that night. And then, for the month of November, we'd bring these pillowcases of candy back out after dinner. We'd parade around the kitchen table, offering some to our parents as we chose our favorites for dessert. Obviously, the beginning of the month was a bit more exciting than the end. By Thanksgiving, there was nothing left in our bag to be thankful for. The Smarties took their place in the garbage. Fast forward now a decade to when my husband Kenny was in seminary full-time and we were both working part-time. We had decided in our budgeting to forgo desserts for the most part as a luxury we just couldn't afford. That and pop, the name brand cereals, and all red meat, sans hamburger, and anything from a deli counter. However, I would occasionally use any extra money we had to slowly accumulate the ingredients needed to make our favorite seven-layer bars, but those were pretty expensive. I'm sure most of you are familiar with this delicacy, graham cracker crust with nuts and chocolate and butterscotch chips, coconut and sweetened condensed milk. It eluded me for years why they were called seven-layer bars, because if you count, they always came up short. Even counting the crust, I only get six until one day someone told me the recipe developers and neighbors actually counted the butter as well. (laughs) Whatever. Because they were so expensive at any rate, I'd add one of the ingredients to our grocery list one at a time, like one a month until we had all we needed for a nine by 13 pan. We'd each eat one fresh out of the oven, then we'd freeze the rest to ration out throughout the year. Now, I don't know if in this environment it was the promise of desserts or the thought of dressing up in a costume, or if I just caught, caught up in the idea in a conversation with one of my youth group girls that fall, likely it was a mix of all the reasons. But whatever the reason, it was decided that she and I were going to go trick-or-treating together that year. She, a senior in high school, that some would consider too old for such an activity, and me, 
a 25 or 26-year-old married woman with two kids who all would consider too old for such an activity. We decided, why not? Why not trick-or-treat? We'd be sure to make our costumes candy-worthy and go for it. She was to be an old-fashioned TV and I a boombox. We went to an appliance store and got discarded boxes from the owner. We painted them silver and cut holes in the sides for our arms. We painted on speakers and volume controls. We got a piece of paper and, and Xeroxed a copy of a news broadcast to tape onto the screen of the TV. We put our heads through the tops. I covered a baseball hat with aluminum foil and rigged two wire hangers to look like antenna. The baseball hat served duo purpose. Display the antenna and hide the face of the person too old to be ringing doorbells. Halloween arrived and she arrived at my house. We got pillowcases. We wore our tennis shoes. We started out my neighborhood, then drove to the neighborhood near our church. We had to run quickly while we were going door to door in our church neighborhood because the houses were quite spread apart. At one of these houses, we rang the bell and were surprised by the response to our costumes. The woman was quite energetic. She loved them. Oh, she said, your costumes are fantastic. Your parents must have helped with those. I kept my face pointing toward my shoes and let Sarah, who was only five feet two, answer, no, we did them all by ourselves. Wow, Tom, come see these costumes. Girls, come in. I shook my lowered head quickly. And she said in an affected voice, oh, right, of course, you shouldn't go into strangers' homes. Tom, come here, come see these costumes. She went on and on. Tom, Tom, he begrudgingly got up from the couch and muttered a few, mm-hmm, and yep, as we tried our best to leave. Having Tom on our side was helpful because sooner rather than later, we were able to take our Best Buy display off their front steps and run to the next home. The very next weekend, Kenny and I were invited by a couple from our church to go to a dinner and a show and a silent auction fundraiser for some foundation they were involved in. We walked in, dressed in our Sunday best, and took our seats at the table for 10. Our friends, the hosts, were introducing all of us to one another, and as they did so, I heard the woman sitting to my left say something. You look so familiar. Tom, does she look familiar to you? Do I know you from somewhere? She asked our hosts. Do I know her from somewhere? They said, I don't think so. She asked me, are you on the Neighborhood Association Board? Because I wasn't sure how to say, I was the boombox trick-or-treating at your house on Halloween because my husband and I really want desserts and seven-layer bars are too expensive to make. And I figured that'd be a great way to get free candy. And I went to your neighborhood with my youth group friend because it looked like a good place to go trick-or-treating because I couldn't think of a good way to say that. Instead, I said, I'm not. I think I must just have one of those faces. I guess if I said all those other things, she could have relaxed and known she need not worry about me bidding her up on the Rolex or the Chicago Bears tickets or, quite frankly, any of the silent auction items that night. Funny thing, exactly one year later... My husband and I were living with the host couple from our church as we were waiting for our townhouse to be built. That Halloween, we dressed our twin boys up with my sister's daughter. We plopped them in a wagon that we decorated as well and dragged these three peas in a pod around visiting all the old haunts I'd just been at, including this expressive lady and her husband Tom's house. 
And of course, she loved the costumes. As our kids got older, they looked forward to dressing up for Halloween and getting free candy too. Not a surprise, right? They too started planning their costumes in early October. I too made corn dogs and macaroni and cheese and carrot sticks for supper. We'd take our kids door to door and chat with our neighbors. One year, we had three blind mice. Another, we had clowns or a princess or Paul Bunyan or Chris Carter or lumberjacks and a bride and a chef and Jesus. Yep, one year... Danny said he wanted to go trick-or-treating as Jesus. At first, I wasn't sure. Like when he and his twin brother, Kenny, wanted to name our cat Jesus, I imagined calling Jesus in from outside and telling Jesus to quit scratching at our furniture and calling the vet to say, Jesus just seemed a little lethargic and I just couldn't do it. So our cat was Nikki. But a Halloween costume seemed different. Kids were dressing up as their heroes There would be Superman and Batman and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I started thinking, if Danny wanted to dress up like Jesus, who was I to argue? So we made a tunic out of a white sheet and a thing for his head. We already had a beard from another costume, so that was great. And we walked door to door with the twin boys dressed as a clown and Jesus. I actually included a picture of this on my Instagram this week because I just can't do it justice explaining it. We walked out our front door and started visiting the neighbors. As we rang the bell, the clown would pretend to juggle or hit himself in the face and fall down and make the homeowners laugh. Danny would stand still and stoic, and the homeowners would inevitably say, aren't you a funny clown? And then, and are you Moses? Shaking his head with a little frustration, he'd answer, no, Jesus. Finally, he'd had enough. Walking between houses, this little guy looked up at me and asked, instead of trick-or-treat, should I just say, hi, I heal people so they know I'm Jesus? I was like, maybe not, but I could mention who you are to them if you'd like me to. Have you guessed it yet? Do you know where we're going? This was not the first time people couldn't recognize Jesus. Granted, with my son, it was a costume. But when the real Jesus walked this earth, People didn't recognize him either. Listen, in in Matthew 16, 13 to 17, we read, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. People were mixed up. They weren't sure who Jesus was. Some found him fascinating. They liked what he could do. They appreciated his miracles. The feeding of the 5,000? Yes, please. The healings and the casting out of demons? That's pretty remarkable, too. And raising someone from the dead? Not just a little girl, not just Peter's mother-in-law, but Lazarus as well? He was amazing. Many were waiting for the Messiah to come, and people were asking, could this be him? Jesus gave them pause for thought. He said things like, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. And he rolled out the scroll of Isaiah one day in the synagogue and referencing himself, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus did amazing things, but the religious leaders, they weren't on board. They made it their mission to discount his miracles. They were determined to discard his teachings. 
Jesus healed people and the religious leaders were irritated because he did so on the Sabbath. And while God created the Sabbath, they had distorted it and made it about themselves. They added rules like, you can't carry anything heavier than a fig. You can't look in a mirror, for if you saw your reflection and happened to spot a gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it out, and there you'd be, reaping on the Sabbath. They walked around with these memorized rules, looking to see who was breaking them. The religious leaders were busy oppressing the poor and looking out for their own interests. They were jacking up the prices on goods for sacrifices, and all the while elevating themselves by the way they walked and talked, and prayed in public, giving themselves every opportunity possible to puff themselves up. They were irritated that people were following Jesus. They said things like, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Or, he's demon-possessed, he's raving mad, don't listen to him. And eventually, the chief priests and the Pharisees called the Sanhedrin together because they'd had enough. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our place. The Romans will come and take away our nation. So from that day on, they plotted to kill him. And kill him, they did. Sad, tragic, really. Not because they killed Jesus, but in their ability to see Jesus for who he was. We definitely know that Jesus was not at their mercy. Instead, he was extending mercy to them, even as he died. He said himself in John 10 that no one could take his life from him. Instead, he laid it down of his own accord. He said, I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Did the disciples recognize him? If we look back to the passage we started with in Matthew, we see that Jesus went on to ask the disciples, But what about you? He asked. Who do you all say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Who is Jesus? Jesus is who he said he was. He himself said, I heal people. He was able to heal their diseases. He helped the lame to walk and the blind to see. He brought the deaf the joy of sound and those suffering with lifelong illnesses relief. He cast out demons and raised the dead. But he didn't stop there. He gave his life so he could give life everlasting to all those who place their faith and trust in him. He raised himself from the dead so we would know he could raise us up to new life as well. Let's not make the same mistake the religious leaders did and get caught up in rules and regulations and power and position. Let's instead recognize who Jesus said he was and follow him, living and loving and caring and spreading the good news of the gospel to those who are oppressed and downtrodden. Let's bring healing to the hurting and live our lives for the one who gives us life.